This is Examine Sport, a podcast of the Sports Ethicist. I am your host, Sean Klein. Each episode of Examine Sport focuses on an argument or concept in the philosophy of sport literature. We will look at classic, discipline-defining articles, exciting, newly published works, and dig deep for important but not as well-known papers. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all the shows, along with links and related information, at sportsethicist.com. Be a good sport. Don't be a spoiled sport. Lose with dignity. Win with humility. Show respect to your opponents. Act like you've been there before. Anyone who's ever played or been around sports has heard this advice or some variation of it. Almost no one disagrees about what sportsmanship means at the level of advice. But how do we get from the concept of sport to these bits of common advice? And how do we know what is and what is not going to count? for example, as showing respect to an opponent. And why uh, is sportsmanship important or valuable anyway? Now, to answer these questions, we have to move beyond the conventional sayings we heard growing up from our little league or soccer coaches and given an account of sportsmanship. And that's one of the tasks of sports ethics. Now, in this episode, we are going to look at the classic account of sportsmanship given by James Keating in his Sportsmanship as Moral Category, published in Ethics in 1964. Keating was one of the first philosophers to examine the concept of sportsmanship, and his work is the foundation of much later thought on the subject. Disagree or agree with his analysis, if you want to work on the concept of sportsmanship, you need to deal first with Keating's account. Now, Keating starts off by noting the varied and widespread usage of sportsmanship beyond sport. From popes to presidents, people have long appealed to sportsmanship as a model of morality, from everything as a unifying concept of patriotism and universal brotherhood to the foundation for courage and dignity in wartime. At the same time, sportsmanship codes often include admonishments against immoral or criminal behavior. The problem, notes Keating, is that sportsmanship is too sweeping, It covers two extremes of the spectrum. On one hand, sportsmanship is treated like the pinnacle of moral perfection, or a moral catch-all that deals not just with sport, but with our behavior in all domains of life. And on the other hand, sportsmanship has become so narrowly defined sometimes that it becomes a moral minimum, merely prescribing the behavior we don't want to see, but providing little guidance otherwise. The mistake is rooted, Keating argues, in confusing the concept of sport and athletics and trying to apply the concept of sportsmanship over two different kinds of activities. This is what he says, quote, It is precisely at this point that we come face to face with the basic problem which has distorted or vitiated most discussions of sportsmanship. Because the term sport has been loosely applied to radically different types of human behavior, because it is naively regarded as an apt description of, one, activity which seeks only pleasant diversion, and on the other hand, two, of the agonistic struggle to demonstrate personal or group excellence, the determination of the conduct proper to a participant in sport becomes a sticky business indeed. So there is sport, and there is athletics, and these are distinct kinds of activities that we have different guides for action. One is an activity of recreation and diversion. It's about cooperation, cooperative pleasure, and enjoyment. This, Keating says, is sport. The other is competition, a contest in which to demonstrate excellence. It's about achieving victory, about winning. 
this Keating says, is athletics. Now, Keating roots this sharp distinction in etymology, the historical usage of words, of terms. Now, we get the English word sport from the French word, meaning to carry away from work or serious matters. It's referred to as leisure activities. We get the English word athletics from the Greek, which means to contend for a prize. Now, etymology is a thin reed to rest the weight of an argument. Word usage and meaning change a lot over time, and so the fact that in the 16th century, sport comes into English meaning one thing doesn't mean, it ha- doesn't mean that it has to mean that today. Consider a word like silly, which came into English meaning something like blessed or pious, but today has a variety of senses from foolish, don't be silly, to unworthy, that's a silly idea. And I think we can see changes in the usage in both sport and athletics. Indeed, the usage in some ways has flipped. We speak of professional sports and college athletics. But more than that, they are frequently used interchangeably. The distinction just doesn't sound that sharp to us today. Nevertheless, whatever terms we want to use, there is something to what Keating is doing. We can pick out activities where the primary goal is about enjoyment, pleasure, and cooperative fun. For example, a soccer game at a family picnic or a youth soccer game. And we can pick out uh, activities where the primary goal is about victory, professional sports, high school sports. And so we can take Keating's point to be, it's a mistake to think that the same concept of sportsmanship can guide behavior in these activities that have different goals. So if sport is understood as the activity with shared pleasure as its goal, we get an, ac- an account of sportsmanship which tells us, quote, always conduct yourself in such a manner that you will increase rather than detract from the pleasure to be found in the activity, both your own and that of your fellow participants. And this is what Keating calls genuine sportsmanship. The characteristics of the genuine sportsman are focused on creating an activity that is fun for all involved. So the mood is fun and playful. The players are genuous, genu- generous or lenient on, on an outcall or less likely to commit a hard foul. The rules are followed, but maybe stretched a bit to allow for all who want to play. So the pitcher might move off the mound towards home pl- plate to pitch to a younger batter at a family picnic softball game. The goal is shared pleasure, and so the rules are interpreted and applied in ways to increase everyone's fun in the game. Now, this is in contrast to what Keating calls athletic sportsmanship. In the activity where victory is the primary goal, the dual importance of precise determination of the victor and the governing of the more intense competition give rise to a different kind of guide for behavior. Quote, honorable victory is the goal of the athlete. And as a result, the code of the athlete demands that nothing be done before, during, or after the contest to cheapen or otherwise detract from such victory. Fairness or fair play, the pivotal virtue in athletics, emphasizes the need for an impartial and equal application of the rules if the victory is to signify, as it should, athletic excellence. So we engage in these activities to find a victor to test each other's skills against each other, to see who is better. The participants invest a lot of themselves into these activities. Hours of training and hard work. It's physical, and it's an emotional challenge. 
With all that one invests, the activity is part of one's identity, and so defeat is difficult and painful. Therefore, there's an important need to maintain one's composure, to have control over one's emotions, both in defeat and in victory. To fail to have self-control in victory cheapens the victory by embarrassing your opponent. To lack self-control in defeat inappropriately takes the focus away from the excellence shown by the victorious competitor. As Keating puts it, quote, to work daily and often intimately with one's competitors and to compete in circumstances which are highly charged with excitement and emotion while still showing fairness and consideration is evidence of an admirable degree of self-mastery. Now, secondly, these activities are about victory. We want to know who has won. Therefore, the fair and equal application of the rules is necessary. Without a fair administration of the rules, we don't know who has actually won the contest. So both sides have to abide by the same sets of rules and restrictions. As Keating says, quote, any attempt to disregard or circumvent these rules must be viewed as a deliberate attempt to deprive the contest of its meaning, end quote. In summary, genuine sportsmanship is for those activities where shared pleasure is the goal. We have a guide that calls for attitudes and behaviors, such as generosity and kindness, that produce and secure the pleasure of the activity for all the participants. For, these acti- for those activities where honorable victory is the goal, we have a guide that is focused on an impartial fair application of the rules, self-control in the form of modesty and victory and composure in defeat. Now, as later critics of Keating's view note, Keating probably overdraws the contrast and too sharply distinguishes between these activities. But the core gets at something important. The idea that the application of sportsmanship, what counts as appropriate behavior for participants, might differ in different contexts, and that to understand what good sportsmanship is requires understanding the nature of the activity one is engaged in. Thank you for listening to Examine Sport. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all the shows, along with links and related information at sportsethicist.com. Please also consider rating the show on iTunes, liking it on YouTube, and sharing on Facebook, Twitter, and elsewhere. You can email the show, sportsethicist, at gmail.com. 